Well, thanks again for coming. We're on our second part of Prayer Changes Things. And I thought uh, just to kind of open it up, this video goes very well with the message. And so the message is called Pray First, Pray Fast, or Pray Furious, but Pray First. And so to open up, I want you to watch this. This is a clip from a really, what's becoming one of my favorite movies. It's called Unbroken. It's about a World War II pilot who was shot down. Unfortunately, the first movie didn't really show it, but the second one, if you haven't seen it, you really should, talks about his amazing conversion to Christ. So this is him before he was a man of faith, and he has a great line uh, to the pilot who crashes the plane right, uh, right after. So let's watch this real quick, and then we'll get right into it. Now you're praying? I was busy before. My mother does that sometimes. Yeah. A lot of people do this. You say anything back? Yeah. What? He says my bombardier is a dope. <laughs> I don't know how many of you remember, but a long time ago, probably in the early 80s, they came out with a movie called Amazing Stories. And remember the bomber that had the little machine gun thing? And somehow or another, the cartoonist drew in the wheels and the plane landed. 
when I was like eight years old, I had a nightmare that I was the guy in the thing and that the plane was going to land and I was like going to get crushed between the runway and the plane. So for some reason, when I watch that, that's all I think about is how did those guys stay in that little, I don't know what you would call it, like glass bubble thing, you know, bad enough you got to land in it, but up in the air you're getting shot at and all that. I just remember that nightmare was one of like my first nightmares in my life. I just flew out of bed, cold sweats, you know, I mean, I ran and grabbed the dog. For some reason in my house, the dog was like the protector. I don't know why. Most people go for their parents, you know. <laughs> I ran and got the dog, you know. You're sleeping with me tonight. So, um, But interesting line there. I love when the guy walks out and he says, now you're praying? You know, the other guy was like, I was a little busy before. And really, I want to use that as sort of an example of really what is the biblical encouragement, which is to pray first, to pray at the beginning rather than at the end. Now, what's interesting is when I think about prayer, I often think, you know what? I don't have time for it. You start praying and all of a sudden, bam, you start thinking, what do I need at the grocery store? Or how come my boss didn't say hello to me as I walk by him or her at the hall today? And why did Tanya forget my Oreos? Tanya always forgets my Oreos. Maybe Tanya thinks I'm getting overweight. I should ask her about that. And then, you know, you begin to think and trail about all of these things. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm trying to pray. And yet we get so easily distracted. Sometimes I'll walk away and say, you know what? It just seems like I was just talking into the air and, 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 and talking to myself like one of those crazy people that I might see around town. Or sometimes I just, I don't feel anything when I pray. I pray and it felt like nothing happened. And it can be very, very confusing. In fact, sometimes it's as if we want to tell God, you know, God, uh, this is this is great stuff and everything, but I feel like my time could be used much more efficiently and I could get a lot more stuff done if I just didn't sort of have this practice of prayer hanging over my head. It can feel counterintuitive to pause in life when we have so much to do and so many responsibilities. In fact, in the midst of a million distractions and responsibility, how could a loving God even ask us to take time out of our lives when we are so busy? How could he ask us to say no to our self-sufficiency and humble ourselves before a God we cannot control when and where he may act or what he might do? It's a lot easier to just attempt to fix things ourselves rather than to stop and pray about them. And I would say for many of us, our natural reaction in a crisis or even in daily life is I need to handle this. I can handle this. I'm going to try to do this on my own. And we've, we really neglect, which is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us when we receive Christ, and that is to be able to pray in the name of Jesus and see God begin to move and act in our life. What God can get done through five minutes of prayer may take us five hours, five months, five years through our own self-effort to try to get a fraction of that accomplished. So this morning, I want to invite you to something better, to live life with God right there at your side through consistent life-changing prayer. I want you to read this verse, and this verse 
Uh, I remember once I read it to someone who didn't know Jesus and it was one of sort of my one of my non-Christian friends. And when I read it, he's like, ooh, God's a stalker, God's a creeper. And I can kind of see what he meant by this verse. But when you really think about it, it's an amazing verse about how God is already covering us all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Beginning in verse one in Psalm 139, Psalmist writes this. You have searched me. Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain where can i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence if i go up to heaven you're there the heavens you're there if i make my bed in the depths in hades you're there if i rise on the wings of the dawn or if i settle on the far side of the sea even there your hand will guide me and your hand will hold me fast I, I hope I could stop right there this morning and that would already be an encouragement. God is there. It may seem like he's failed us. It may seem like he doesn't hear us. It may seem like we're just talking into the air. It may seem like a waste of time, but it is not. God is there. Track with me. And I hope you'll leave here this morning with a renewed faith to begin to turn your problems into prayers and to turn your habits into prayers as well. The point is that God knows every detail of our lives at all places at all times for all of us in the present. While we don't even know what will happen tomorrow and we've already started forgetting what happened yesterday, God has not missed any of it. And God already knows what we need of him even before we say a word. And yet he still calls us to pray. Why? I've often been asked that, you know, Tom, if God knows everything I need and God knows everything I'm going to say, then why doesn't he just do it? Why do I have to pray about it? It's so unnatural to pray. And it is kind of unnatural to pray. But there's a very important reason why it's the best thing we can begin to do. And it's this. The first thing is this. Our prayers from cover to cover in the Bible, our prayers release something in the heavenly realms into our circumstances as we are God's agents on the earth. Yeah, God could snap his fingers and do a lot of things, but God has chosen to do the bulk and the majority of what he wants to do through people. Remember, he made us in his image so that through us he could do the things he wants to do on the earth. We are his choice. Now, you may step back and say, I ain't much of a choice. I think he should use somebody else. But the fact of the matter is, he has chosen you for certain and specific things throughout your life. And he wants to do it through you. You are his choice, whether you feel up to the challenge or worthy of being his choice or not. He has chosen you. And no matter how much we try to deface it, we are made in his image to carry out his will upon the earth so that's the first thing when we pray we are releasing power in the heavenly realm to come in through that situation 
The second thing is this. It deepens our relationship with God. God did not just want to create robots who complied. But people he could love. And so prayer deepens that relationship. It wouldn't say much about my marriage if I never talked to my wife. I could hardly tell you I love her if I never spoke to her. Amen? And the third thing, it produces spiritual fruit in our hearts. I don't know if you caught it a few months ago when we were going through the Fruits of the Spirit series. After, at, at the end of every sermon, I tried to end it with, and you get these through obviously reading the word, but through prayer. You come up with a situation that needs patience, and you say, God, I'm praying for patience. You come up with a situation that needs gentleness. God, I am praying for gentleness. It's hard to admit that those things don't come naturally to us, but they don't. And until you admit that they don't, you're probably going to struggle with often the antithesis of gentleness and patience and joy and love. Because naturally, we tend to, you know, we, we tend to deal with things very emotional and very erratically when things come apart. So that's the important part. When we pray, Lord, I need the love, joy, peace, patience that your spirit wants to flow through me in this situation. And then we begin to see the fruits of the spirit more as an answer to prayer rather than something that we uh, feel in our own flesh or in our own strength that we need to somehow live up to that standard. So it releases something in the heavens, it deepens our relationship with God, and it produces fruit in our hearts. I love it. Uh, this hasn't happened for a while. It's probably been a year now, but, you know, I, 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 I'm a people craver. And so sometimes I'll be working here and it's all alone in the church and there's nobody around. So you know what, I'm going to go to Starbucks. At least I'll be around people. It never fails when I'm working on my sermon. Or the, This last time I'm talking about, I was working on one of the Christmas plays. And I was writing it and the, and the guy was very interested in it. And we began to talk. I told him I was a pastor. I told him what I did. And, all that. and he said, you know what, I'm an atheist. So, you know, you know I could kind of see it was like, you know, take that for what it's worth. And, and so I said to him after our conversation, I said, you know, do you mind if I pray for you? And his face was very confused, like, I don't know. And I said, I could tell. I, I said, hey, I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to do anything weird. And he looked at me like, I don't know. You know, I, 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 I you know, and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, if you're so confident in your atheism, why would, I mean, for you, a prayer would just be me speaking into the air. It's nothing, you know. And, but I could tell this little uncomfortability. I said, look, like I said, I'm not being worried about this. I just, you know, you seem like a great guy, and I just want to pray for the Lord's blessings. A Lord you don't believe in, but I still believe in. I want to pray his blessings upon your life. So finally I was like, well, okay, but like, do I have to do something? I said, no, nope, you don't have to do anything. I said, if you want, you can stare at me as I'm praying. I should have never said that. Because he did stare at me while I was praying for him. And it was pretty weird, I got to tell you that, you know. Because I'm like closing my eyes. And of course, I'm naturally like wanting to put my hands on. I'm like, oh, don't touch him, don't touch him. Leave the hand in there, you know. And, but at the end of the prayer, the look in his eyes was different. Something had been released from the heavenlies. God had flowed through that situation. And I think he l may have come in Starbucks an atheist, but he left an agnostic. He left saying, you know what, maybe there is something to this. Maybe there is someone out there who cares about me. And I hope he heard that I ended that prayer in the name of Jesus. And he cries out to Jesus when his moment to come to faith comes. Amen? In 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 8, Timothy sa or Paul says, I urge then, 
first of all, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. First of all, it's not second, not last, not as you think of it, not as it comes to you. First of all, there's something about putting prayer first. I remember uh, long ago when I was, I was first a Christian, uh, our youth pastor said, you know, whether you pray in the morning or whether you pray at night, just make sure you get it in somewhere. So I, I, I'm not very good in the morning, so I would always do it at night. But you know what? There, there was, I, I just kind of felt like there was something lacking as I did it. I would pray and then go to bed. I'd forget what I prayed about by the time I woke up. And I said, you know what? I'm going to switch that to the morning. And as I began to pray in the morning, it'd be amazing how I would see some of that, not every day, but some days, where I would see that journey of prayer birthed through that particular day or in the days to come. And so I think that's why Paul says that. First, first of all, do the petitions, prayers, and intercession. He says in verse 8, I want men, men and women everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. That's why in worship, uh, I always ask you to lift your hands because worship is simply musical prayer. And this is us fulfilling this scripture lifting up our hands in prayer and i love it without anger or disputing it's really hard to be worshiping with your hands lifted up and you're worshiping it's really hard in the next second to make a fist turn around and punch somebody in the face not saying it's impossible but it's really hard (laughs) mark chapter 11 verse 18 Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. God did not say that my house shall be called a house of sermons. Too many people, I think they approach church on Sunday as I hope Tom gives a good sermon. Well, I'm glad you hope that and I hope I do that. But I hope at the end of the day, you know that this is not what it's about. That's not what Jesus said it was going to be about. I hope my words encourage you, but if anything, I hope these words encourage you to make this a house of prayer and to make your house a house of prayer. God did not say it should be a house of altar calls, although there are many people who come to faith in Jesus Christ in a church. God did not say it should be a house of fellowship. That's a Christianese word for hanging out. God said my house shall be called a house of prayer. Too often we make prayer sort of an add-on too often it's kind of like an afterthought it's like a bonus feature in the church have you ever have you ever heard someone say and they offered up a token prayer well i can tell you this right now there's nothing token about prayer but when we do this this eventually puts us on the path of becoming a dead church with lifeless worship well prepared but powerless sermons delivered to lukewarm distracted members who live in sinful defeat and superficial relationships and sadly i am describing a lot of the american church we have today it's not that we don't mean well we do we work hard we do our best but in the end that's part of the american church problem God never intended us to live our lives solely in our own wisdom or strength, but to rely on his spirit and to live a life with him through the prayer of faith. We learned two weeks ago the prayer of faith is God hears us, God wants to help us, and God will speak to us and direct us in the prayer. 
God actually hears. There's a God that actually hears every single prayer you've ever prayed or will. And that God has a heart where he wants to help you. Your answer may not be the best answer, but he will give you his best answer. That's why sometimes we think God failed us. Because what we actually did, we answered our prayer before we prayed it, and then God didn't give us that answer that we answered for him. Well, sometimes God has a completely other answer. And it may not be in the same timing. But the prayer of faith is the most powerful prayer. When we truly believe God is listening, truly believe he wants to help in the best way, and that he will speak and guide us through those prayers. Now that's a loving God. That's a God that's beyond us. That's a God that can see what we cannot see. A God that knows that what we do not know. A God who has been where we have not been. And a God who is healing wherever we've been. Amen? Here's a good way to think about it. Here's some examples. Uh, say that you want to start a fire. All right. Now I know many of you, you got like butane torches and all that. I know in this day and age, especially in Bakersfield, you have probably got a hundred different ways you could start a fire and you could start one right now. But I'm thinking of the more traditional way, which is we use a match, right? The fire, you got all your kindling and everything around. The fire will not happen until you strike the match. But once you strike the match, and a catalyst happens and it forms that chemical reaction. All of a sudden you got fire on the match. And then you put that fire and then you make that fire. Prayer is a lot like that in the same way. Prayer is the match that ignites the fire of God to be working in whatever we are working on. Another one. Say you want to turn on a lamp. You can turn it on all day long and the lamp will not come on unless it is what? It is plugged into the socket but the moment you plug that lamp into the socket and you turn that switch bam the light comes on prayer is like plugging the lamp into the socket it's like striking the match or say that you want to go to the beach you could walk but nobody does you could ride a horse i'd be afraid for the horse all right most of you you're going to grab your keys you're going to turn it, and when you turn that key, your car's going to start. But little, very few of us realize that what's happening almost instantaneously is a series of controlled explosions ramming down those pistons, creating a powertrain that allows your car to get up the mountains, over and down to the beach. Amen. Thank God for cars. In all three of those examples, the match, the plug, and the key... That is all what prayer is in terms of accessing the power of God. If you never strike the match, if you never plug in the lamp, if you never turn the key, then you're never going to have that kind of power released. The match, the plug, and the key, they're all catalysts for releasing power. That is what prayer is. Prayer is the catalyst for releasing God's power in our lives. And I hope you go home today going, you know what? I think I've had my lamp unplugged for a little while. You know what? My fires have been dead because I haven't been striking that match. You know what? My car's been sitting in, symbolically, I hope you realize, my car's been sitting in the garage because I haven't been turning the key lately. And it's amazing when you begin to do those things, how you begin to see the power of God working more consistently in your life. The Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 
the church experiences the first Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. They're, uh, they, 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 it's one of the most dazzling display, displays of God's power in the, of the church. The room shakes. The wind roared. Tongues of fire came and descended on all of the people who were in there, and they all ran out speaking in tongues. These were languages that they had never learned, and they were what? They were glorifying God. since they were telling of the glories of God. And they led thousands of people to Christ and baptism on that first day. What were they doing right before the Pentecost? They were praying. They were lighting matches next to a fire filled with Holy Spirit gasoline. Right, They were about to plug in to not just 110 volt, but 1 million infinitesimal volt of power that was about to shake the room. They weren't just turning a key in a car. They were turning a key into a jet airplane that was about to roar through the room. They were praying, and that was the catalyst. They struck the match. They plugged in the light. They turned the key, and bam! They rode on the power of God. They didn't have to get out there, oh, we want to beg you to hear about Jesus. Jesus is a great guy. They didn't go do it in all their own wisdom. Jesus said, don't stop. Don't tell anybody about me until you're filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the power of God, you won't be working in your self-sufficiency. You won't be working in your wisdom. You'll be working in power. And what happens? 3,000 people are baptized in one day. By Acts chapter 6, however, the enemy, the devil, was on to the church's game. Wait a minute. These people pray. Amazing things happen. And the devil said, I know what I got to do. I have got to get these people to stop praying. So what does he do? He doesn't do a full-on attack. He doesn't send demon-possessed people to try to do it. He doesn't do any of that. He does one of the best things you can do in a church. He creates a very good, godly problem that everybody can be distracted with, so now they're working on the problem rather than praying. And the problem was this. The church was taking care of the widows. In this day and age, there were a lot more widows that lived a lot longer. Remember, the average lifespan is about 45 years old. I'm 45. Wow, I've reached the average lifespan of the biblical era. <laughs> I'm feeling good right now. Okay. And so there are a lot of widows. Well, the, non-Jew- or the, yeah, the non-Jewish widows, they were being overlooked in the daily serving. So now all of a sudden, as the church is gathering for prayer, you've got these hungry people saying we want some food, so all of a sudden it's distracting. We're not praying as much anymore. We're going out and we're feeding. And the devil's going, there we go. This will destroy the church. Take away the prayer, have them do something good. Take away the prayer, church will fall. And he was absolutely right. Peter recognized it, the leader of the church, and he said, you know what? We are going to appoint three men. And they are going to have the responsibility of taking care of all the widows. But us, we are not going to stop praying because we need to be plugged into the power. Amen? Acts chapter 6 verse 4. Peter says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, 4 to 6. He says, 
devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Talk about a guy who could say God failed me. Paul is in prison. He is in chains. And he is still praying for opportunities to do his ministry, even in prison. And by the way, he had, I would say, an even more effective ministry in prison than he did in the Jewish synagogues in the Roman world. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way, way you act toward others, outsiders, making most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I don't think you can become that kind of person until you're praying first in the morning. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you miss one, that somehow or another it's like some formula. But when you make the habit of as the sun is rising to meet the creator of that sun and ask him to guide you through your day, you'd be amazed at how this comes very naturally. All right, a couple of things in the take home and then we're gonna finish with communion today. First of all, number one, here's one of my first encouragements for you. And I, this, one, this one, you may all walk out of here, leave the church, throw tomatoes at me and say, we don't ever want this pastor up here preaching again. But I gotta say it anyway. Wake up earlier. Wake up earlier. I know. I know for some of you, I, I'm looking at Dennis over here. Dennis already wakes up at 2.30 in the morning. I know, no, I'm sorry, something like that. You know, he wakes up very, very early. And if you're like Dennis and you wake up, up at 2.30 in the morning, I'm saying wake up at 2.25. Even if you can get five minutes a day, it's better than nothing. But wake up a little earlier. I remember when I was younger and uh, I was uh, not in seminary yet, but I was in university where uh, I was part of a, a, a ministry training group and this, one of the speakers was a young lady, just a little older than us, and she gave us the 30-day challenge. She said, I want you to commit to praying in the morning, first thing, every day for 30 days, and tell me if it has made no difference in your life. I will be completely honest with you. I did not do it. I'll be honest with you. But my roommate did. My roommate was there with me. And at the end of the 30 days, he got up and he shared one of the most amazing testimonies. And he said, I'd wake up and I'd have this splitting headache. I'd be groping for the Advil. I'd be popping the Advil. I'd be drinking the coffee. I'd be listening to Tom snoring in the other bunk, you know, and I'd think to myself, I should just wake him up because he's supposed to be doing this challenge with me. It's a good thing he didn't because he would have, you know. Anyway, and, and, but he got up there and he said, I will never go back. I will never go back. I know what the months I lived like were like without this. And I can't tell you the difference. It didn't change every circumstance. But it did change me and how I faced them. And I, I remember just thinking to myself, amen to you, <laughs> you know. I have, I mean, I, I don't know if I ever did the 30-day challenge, but it has now become a part of my life, and I can, I can say that in the very same, with the very same heart. I would never go back to just ignoring and not doing it and thinking that waking up and getting on with my day is better than taking a few moments and connecting with God, amen? Number two, determine your undisturbed spots. 
This was not a point in this message until I heard Pastor Heather speak two weeks ago, three weeks ago. When she said, at my job, I go to the ladies' restroom and that's where I can pray. I would have never thought of that. But that is a good thing. When you look at Jesus, Jesus would often get away from the crowds and go up on a mountaintop to pray. When I thought about my own life, I have a park around my house, and I go and I walk around that park, and that's where I pray, and it's undisturbed. You've got to find your undisturbed spot because if you're in a disturbed spot, believe me, the enemy will send disturbance after disturbance after disturbance, just like he did the early church because he knows, as we know, there's power and starting your day with prayer. Amen? Third thing. Ask, seek, and knock. There's a passage in the book of James that says, you have not because you ask not. Now, I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, I don't want to see a long list of the things God could have done in my life, but I was just too busy to ask him. No. I don't want that to be me, and I don't want that to be you either. Number four, write down your prayers or voice memo yourself. It's important to keep a record of what you are asking for God. Now, if you have like a devotional prayer that you're not really asking for anything, you're just wanting to tell God how much you love him, obviously you don't have to write that down all the time. But if you have something you're really asking about, write it down. Hudson Taylor was one of the most famous missionaries to China. And uh, he was there for about 50 years. He had, boy, the story of how he got there through Papua New Guinea and all that, this is back before the modern era. It's amazing. If you ever want to read an adventure story about a Christian missionary, read about Hudson Taylor. But at the end of his life, they had found, he had many, many diaries, ministry diaries. He, he journaled every day extensively. One of his assistants who was working with him began to ask him about all of his prayer requests. And before Hudson Taylor died, they had documented that no less than 10,000 prayers that Hudson Taylor prayed were answered in some way or another by God. 10,000. So record them so that you'll know. Builds faith. And then finally, number five, avoid answering your prayers for God. Avoid answering them. Because I guarantee your answers will probably be less powerful. Anybody see the movie War Room? That was a good movie. And I love the fact that the, the lady, the older lady who would go into the closet thing, whatever that was, I can't remember everything she prayed. But I remember walking away going, she always prayed for God's glory to be done. It wasn't like, God, I need you to do this and this and this and this and this way. And it's da, 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 da. She didn't just give him like a specific list. God, you better do this. It was, God, whatever is going to glorify your name, let that be done. In World War II, the Jews were being persecuted by the Nazis. And in one particular town, Instead of giving in to the Nazis, they fled into the woods. And after they had fled, the rabbi had realized that he left his prayer book in the synagogue. Well, they couldn't retrieve it because the German soldiers were already in the town. And the whole community was mourning because the rabbi couldn't remember the prayers and so they didn't know the right prayers to pray. 
in their time of trial before God. They went and they found this little boy about five years old and he's reciting the alphabet, A, B, C, D. They said, why are you doing that? Can you stop talking? He said, I'm praying. He said, you're praying, you're reciting the alphabet. He goes, no, I'm reciting the alphabet, but I trust God to put the letters all together to make the words. I like that story. Because you know what? Sometimes we just burp out stuff we don't even know what we're saying. But God, he hears here. He hears this. You don't have to pray perfectly. You don't have to pray in all wisdom or all knowledge. You just got to pray from the heart. And sometimes you may have to pray fast. Sometimes you may have to pray furious. But whatever you do, pray first. When it comes first, the power of God is released in a way and you'll know it. And God loves you. He'll put the words together, even if we can't. Amen?